Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Hey there, podcast listener. Have you ever been listening to Wizard and the Bruiser and thought to yourself, I wish I could see just how fat Jake and Holden are in real life? Don't lie. We know all about your weird inside thoughts, listeners. Well, now you can make that dream a reality because Wizbrew and Page 7 are going on tour. Austin, Dallas, Milwaukee, Chicago, Minneapolis, D.C., Philly, Brooklyn, San Francisco, L.A. Nowhere is safe from an all-new show we're calling Release the Butthole Cut. Ew. Come join your fellow LPN fans for a night of pop culture chaos that's fun for the whole family, assuming your family consists of equally broken weirdos in their 30s. It's going to be a blast. Tickets are on sale right now at lastpodcastnetwork.com. Go, go now. There's VIP meet and greet passes available as well in case you want to get, you know, a little extra close, uh, especially personal. I legally have to clarify that there is no sexual element involved. I mean, unless, you know. Okay, cheese chick. All right, stop winking. All right, buddy. It's page seven in Wizard and the Bruiser live. Go to lastpodcastnetwork.com for dates and tickets. I, your big dick bruiser Kratos, and I need God blood. Uh, punching, punching, and whipping you with my chain. I'm sorry, punching and whipping you with my chains. It is I, Kratos, and you won't see me again because you're dead, Zeus, or whatever. What about you? What are you? <laughs> you my annoying son, boy. Are you my boy, boy? You First of all, Holden, I was hoping you would stick to one Kratos. At first, I thought you were like early 2000s, like, I started as that. Yeah, I, I started as death that. to Olympus. Like that darkly <laughs> early Zeus. But then you kind of also shifted to low, world-weary boy dad Zeus. Uh, Kratos. <laughs> Listen, sometimes <laughs> violence isn't a choice we make. But a responsibility we bear, boy. Yeah. I don't care how big those titties are. I <laughs> will kill you. But they're so big. And like, they're here for you, Crady. Foul siren slash harpy <laughs> slash Medusa. 
This is a PlayStation 2 game, and we can have nipples, and, but not dicks. Oh, no, I spilled all this milk all over myself. <laughs> oh, it's everywhere. It's all over my breasts and everything. What we're trying to say is that the God of War <laughs> franchise is a land of contrast. Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. An indelible franchise that people, every day, people knocking on my door, the mailman, Sometimes a fireman will show up, be like, where is the God of War episode of Wizard and the Bruiser? And, you know, also your kitchen's on fire, <laughs> you know? And and I mean, it's just unbelievable. I'm so glad we're finally doing it. Of course, for Ragnarok's sake, uh, just dropped. Mm-hmm. I actually, it's kind of fun, you know, to get a chance to play the new thing that we're putting the episode out around. Oh, yeah. We're experiencing the new things. A lot of times we're like, oh, because it's coming, we record an episode on it. Um, really enjoying the new game so far. It's very like, there's a lot going on with uh, your equipment and upgrades mm-hmm. and a Equip and attaching runes to your equipment. Now, and you got to upgrade the runes, but those are different from talismans. If you upgrade yeah. the talisman, it doesn't affect the rune. You know, it just comes down to, not to get too deep on the first game, it just comes down to like, can I hold down square to make this thing better right yeah. now or no? <laughs> okay, I can't. Then I'll just keep picking up items until I can. Uh, but regardless it's it's really really good i think so far you've got man kissel daddy thor everyone's <laughs> freaking out about it you know it's it's uh, it's a whole thing but it's kind of miraculous this franchise has been able to withstand the test of time. I mean, I was just talking about before this that, you know, this really could have gone the way of the Duke Nukem. I oh, mean, absolutely. The God of War that we all know and love from back in the day is so tied to a very specific time in like machismo and like edgy rage and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it's hilarious that like he's either murdering gods or like once a game, he like fucks a bunch of ladies in like a horny room mm-hmm. or whatever, right? Like, just that alone is just so tied to a very specific dude bro era of video games. You know and what then we all got older. Yeah. It's the tr- it's it's the uh, hurt of video games because it's the uh, <laughs> back in the old days. It was edgy Trent Reznor. And then yeah. you just have an old man just kind of bellow the same lyrics. And all of a yeah. sudden it's like this hugely like meditative, uh, heavy thing. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, that's kind of the thesis a little bit of what our episode is today is that, you know, it's about men growing up. Yeah, and specifically men because it's a very just male driven franchise and everything. I mean, there's a lot of ladies uh, who's got hands on this thing as well. But, you know, uh, it's about it's about dudes or I would just say the the general sense of the genderless sense of the word bro. It's about Mm. bros growing up, maturing you know, and that's the d- developers and their character. And I think they did such a good job of also like giving us, serving up the evolution of games in general and how much more cinematic they've come, uh, become, how much more about like a journey where like we learn things about family and whatnot they have become. And so much further away from just like, dude, the man, you thought the last one had big monsters? This one, dude, 
biggest monsters you've ever seen in a video game, bro. And then you bang a bunch of ladies at some point. Just, you know, it's a quick time event. It's sick, dude. Serve, fucking get you some nasty ass monsters. And they're all like, oh, but the Kratos is like, oh, fucking rip your brains out your head. Oh, la 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 You know, and that's just really what, and now, and then it becomes this like thoughtful introspective also too though i want to give it out to the new god of war games with their approach to a small open world Mm. is kind of how i describe it why i think wide linear or something like that was how they describe how some of the uh, game makers internally they refer to it you know because it's like it's like god of war skipped the open world phase thank god they didn't try to uh, thank god of war they didn't try to (laughs) do an open world giant open world right just because it was the popular thing they kind of skip past it and i think that served them greatly for what is fun about these games at the end of the day it is about these giant action set pieces these big long almost like you know like shadow of the colossus style Mm -hmm. even like epic battles against a monster that's like bigger than the you can put on the screen you know and and that is an important element uh, for sure as well but then mixing it in with like maybe you know some good puzzles and some just a really nice gameplay flow a god of war game i think kind of flows like a river it's always pushing forward it's always moving you in in that forward momentum direction but it's changing up just enough to keep you constantly entertained because you're you're just trying to like move some stuff around to get through an area then you're fighting a bunch of monsters then you have the big set piece battle and you know and then rinse and repeat and then adding a really great layer of dramatic you know plotting and and like solid scenes that are pretty decently acted with a bratty kid who's now a bratty teenager uh, and, and negotiating all that stuff and, and just giving Kratos more depth. It's cool, man. I like the new games. I think the old games are really fun in their own right. What's your deal with uh, the franchise, Jake? Did you Have you played the newer ones? Have you uh, you been playing the new one this week, actually? So I was never a PlayStation kid. Never owned a PlayStation, PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5. And I'm the opposite. I'm a PlayStation kid. But whenever I had a friend with a PlayStation 2 or a PlayStation 3, he would always pop in the God of War game du jour to show off how cool it was. So like, I remember sitting slack-jawed on a filthy couch watching the big Colossus of Rhodes showdown from God of War 2. Yeah. I remember, like, watching my roommate, or not roommate, yeah, uh, my college roommate. Just some guy that would just, like, you would feed once a day. Yes. Yeah, I know that guy. We all had that guy. No, I did not have a manslave in my college <laughs> dorm. Manservant. Manservant, <laughs> we called him. He works for tips. <laughs> the, you know, the the Hydra fight on the boat and, like, showing off the, the sex seen bonus games and all that, uh, unlocking the funny costumes, even uh, just reading in video game magazines about like the secret 1-800 number that still works to this day. You can actually hear Kratos and David Jaffe uh, do a little ironic meta bit over your phone uh, if you do one of those Easter egg numbers. But I never actually played them. And so for uh, this week's research, I... Uh, got an emulator going. I played the Blue Point uh, collection of uh, God of War one and two, Hell yeah. and got uh, reasonably far into both of those. Um, and you know, de- they're definitely dated now. They're definitely sure. uh, 
you know, the quick time events have aged like fine milk. Yeah. The sexuality, the violence, Kratos as just this edgy anger uh, character that's just so pissed off, but tragically, uh, you know, He's mad, but sad mad sometimes, as well as mad mad. That's his <laughs> yeah, it's it's so one note, and it really speaks towards where we were at in terms of storytelling uh, when it came to video games back during those days, right? I mean, it's kind of crazy. It was actually incredible, though, because the cinematography of those games, uh-huh. the fact that for those first couple of games, they don't even let you move the camera because they want to like reveal and pan and do all of these like movie tricks to tell a story that, you know, in games like Banjo-Kazooie or, uh, you know, a lot of early 3D games, maybe they would like rotate the camera a little, but they're doing shit in these games that would have felt like the transition from like black and white to color in terms of like the scale and epicness of video games. And then, yes, I uh, on Steam, I downloaded the uh, PC port of God of War 2018 and was immediately blown away just by how slick and effective and exhilarating and heart wrenching uh, yeah. the whole experience was. It's kind of amazing that this is the Mario of Sony is this ash covered tribal tat bleed wielding bald headed psychopath. And like that is their hallmark franchise character. You know, he is it's the it's the flagship showpiece for every one of their consoles and through sheer grit and innovation they have somehow managed to like you the the uh duke nukem analogy is perfect yeah for there sure there's right? no reason after uh ascension i believe that was the fourth game yeah the it's a prequel fourth game we'll talk about it a little bit more but yeah yeah that was like kind of the last main line and it in the series before they took a little bit of a hiatus people were yeah. done with it people had moved on and that same and it's such a it's such a dumb but brilliant meta magic trick that the first game was made specifically for that like 12 year old to teenage audience. David yes. Jaffe talks about uh, little Johnny who has been mowing lawns to get the coolest video game. And he wanted to make a game that would live up to that anticipation. And instead of trying to capture that magic forever, it yeah. took Corey Barlog and the rest of the team at Santa Monica to be like, Let's not make the game for today's little Johnny. Little Johnny is pushing 40 now. Little Johnny has kids of their own. Let's make a game for them. And it worked. It worked so big Johnny. Yeah, you made it for big Johnny, right? (laughs) Big fucking big lug Johnny. But yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just like, hey, little fucking kid, you want your whole family to die? That piss you off, right? Let's get some fucking Medusa guts. For sure, you know, and then you jump to, yeah, this more mature kind of thoughtful experience. I wonder what, like, the younger generation, though, it's kind of, it feels so made for our generation Mm -hmm. that I do wonder how it hits the younger generation, you know, playing these newer games. They're probably not going back to the older ones. It's, it's. It's amazing when this kind of thing I mean, can happen. The kid, those kids are playing Fortnite. They're playing like uh, Minecraft. They're doing fine. They don't need right, right. a cinematic, contemplative, no camera cuts journey through Midgard. They're stealing. They're stealing from the Scholastic Book Fair. They're stealing from the Marshals and the uh, Old Navy and Target and everything. They're little thieves, I tell you, these Did you children. you read a weird article that was talking about kids <laughs> stealing or is this a wholly original Holden? No, nah, no. Nah, keep your fucking eye 
eyes out next time you see some kids in a store these days. All right, they are stealing left they'll steal your fucking i had a couple my came home i didn't have socks on security walks up to me and uh, and i'm like oh thank god i've been watching these kids and he's like yes we know <laughs> yes Please we know stop that's watching why those kids i brought this stick with me and i'm gonna beat you with it and then you're gonna go home and uh, never come back here again did yeah, you know absolutely. old navy security guards are legally allowed to beat you to death only at old navy not nowhere else yeah must kill these kids. Kratos saw them steal Sonic Frontiers from the video game section. <laughs> Children, you have <laughs> betrayed the trust between GameStop and the people. <laughs> I Those... will avenge you. Fantastic stuff. Let's get into it. The God of War story. You've been fiending for it. You've been clawing at your genitals in anticipation like you always do when you get really excited about a new Wizard of the Bruiser episode. So let's jump into it. Hey, it's right Jay, here, co-host right now. of Wizard and the Bruiser. Listen, if you've been clawing your genitals, <laughs> don't do that. Uh, it's okay. the official okay. statement of Wizard and the Bruiser podcast, a longtime member of the last podcast network, that you paw at your genitals. It is a much more gentler <laughs> and sustainable way to let people know you're excited for an episode of a comedy history show. You've been wrenching and rack <laughs> ranching <laughs> at your genitals for this one. God of War, an action-adventure video game franchise created by David Jaffe. The first in the series came out in 2000, 2005 <laughs> on the PlayStation 2. And after four mainline titles in the series, multiple offshoots, it got a reboot on the PS4 in 2018. The games all follow the protagonist Kratos, a Spartan warrior who takes out Greek pantheon gods left and right, and later those from Norse mythology. That's the game. <laughs> so let's get into it. How it was created. Very interesting story. Uh, it all starts with uh, Santa Monica Studio and David Jaffe. Santa Monica Studio, founded in 1999 by Alan Becker, a dude who worked for Sony, but wanted to break away from the main hub, get his own studio going, but still like tied to Sony. They first moved into an office next to Naughty Dog. Later, they moved into a building in the suburbs of Santa Monica, California. And their first game was called Kinetica. Uh, which they were decided to build for the upcoming PlayStation 2. Kinetica, it's a futuristic motorcycle racing game where you're like a man motorcycle man and you're like going through these like crazy. It was kind of just a tech demo in a lot of ways. It was really more a proof to Sony that, hey, we can make a video game within a certain deadline and on a set budget, we're going to deliver and we can definitely, you know, like, so here's this game and they created a, the, the Kinetica engine oh, which, for this game, which is what they're going to use for God of War. What were you say, Jake? The Kinetica engine that uh, Santa Monica worked on was actually vital to get the most out of the PlayStation 2 hardware because it was uh, the PlayStation 2 and the PlayStation 3 uh famously had very fiddly hardware that was very unique to that. It is the reason why uh, it was easier to port to the Xbox and the Xbox 360 than to the PlayStation 2 and the PlayStation 3. So um, the Kinetica engine actually uh, powered a lot, like a surprising amount of uh, PlayStation games that you might not have expected uh, the Twisted Metal uh, Black, Twisted Metal Reboot, uh, SOCOM Navy SEALs, I believe. Yep. I think, uh, wait, where is it? No, I thought Jack and Daxter. I thought literally Jack and Daxter was in here. Why can't I find it? Why can't I goddamn find it? Anyway, all the God of War games, um, there were tons and tons of, uh, like, 
it's just from the get go, what uh, Kinetica and the Kinetica engine by extension kind of uh, showcased was that they were a studio dedicated to the PlayStation hardware. They could uh, really do things that uh, external developers just did not have the wherewithal to put together. And that the uh, the place was like geared to create Western games. This was something that was happening at the time that, uh, you know, in ye old days, Konami, Capcom, Koei, Tecmo, all these Japanese developers were just bringing their games over to America. And it was pretty like easy peasy. And as we were entering the 3D era, there was this differentiation happening. And Sony knew that they needed a core team of Western developers to create franchises and ideas for that market, which was the biggest video game market in the world. And uh, one of the designers on that first game on Kinetica was David Jaffe, uh, who had already made a name for himself with the Twisted Metal series for PlayStation. That's a whole other episode, in my opinion, by the way. I'm not going to spend too much time on Twisted Metal, but to talk about... I I was like, oh, no shit. Of course, the Twisted Metal guy would go on to make God of War. They're both the most, like, Mm edgelordy, like, over-the-top... Like, they just represent to me the, like, yeah, attitude kind of edgelord era of of PlayStation and video games in well, general. Well, what differentiated Sony's, that's the other thing, is that Sony had, through games like Twisted Metal, established itself as the more extreme, as the more adult. Yeah, games that made a young Holden want to try cigarettes, you know, for the first time. And like, you know, while listening to Incubus. <laughs> it's me, Sweet Tooth. Love my murder machine. <laughs> Smoke Lucky Strikes. <laughs> lucky Strikes? That's not even... I don't even know if I can find a Lucky Strike. So funny, Smoke Lucky Strikes. Uh, Javi started out as a tester for Nintendo. Uh, that was back in 1993. He was a part of a... Of, uh, he was a part of the company Sony ImageSoft, which predated the PlayStation. His first credited games as a designer was <laughs> Mickey Mania that. on the SNES. That game fucking rules, dude. That's a good one. Uh, I love that part where Mickey's fucking whole family gets fucking ripped up from their from their testicles and their groin all the way up through their brain. And then Mickey's like, oh, covered in blood. And he's just like, I will avenge you, Goofy. <laughs> and then he fucking goes and kills the witch or whatever from Sleeping Beauty. It's awesome, dude. But first he fucks her in front of a bunch of talking brooms. It's awesome, dude. I love that game so much. And then, uh, and then he, uh, after that, he moved over to the Twisted Metal series for Sony. As a kid, he loved Atari games. He has a vivid memory of being at his buddy um, Kick Meyering's sixth grade birthday party where they stayed up all night long playing Raiders of the Lost Ark on Atari, which was a huge influence on his making God of War. And uh, also there was a game Adventure known to have the first Easter egg. And we've talked about it before. Lost Ark, Raiders of the Lost Ark, that was not fucking easy, man. This is very obtuse. There was no internet back then. He said he beat the game, but it's one of those games where like you would need a weird guide to get through it almost because, but you know, but he loved it. And Jaffe said, I've never lived without games. I was a total arcade rat as well back in the late 70s and 80s. I love this stuff. And I noticed, oh, there's a company in town, Sony ImageSoft, that makes games. They made games uh, based on a bunch of Sony movies like Cliffhanger, Last Action Hero, Spielberg's Hook. I had heard about this job that game companies had called a tester. I remember the day I sent my resume out to be a clerk at a dis- dentist office. And I sent my resume out for this job at Sony. Sony called me back. 
the dentist office didn't. And then uh, he goes on to say, I realized that games were starting to change and we can start using them to tell stories. Let people step into the shoes of the actual stars and live the adventures. I realized I can apply a lot of my love to, of film and understanding of storytelling to my love of video games. That was really the start. Oh, it's just a very interesting thing where a lot of the key players at Santa Monica, uh, including David Jaffe, who was like a film guy at University of Southern California, uh, Corey Barlog, who was an animator that was like trying to work, get into television and film. And even Shannon Studstill, the uh, the one of the producers and kind of the glue that held together so many of these huge productions uh, started in the fine arts. And it's a lot of people that kind of saw games where they were going and wanted to kind of do things with it that hadn't been quite done before. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the idea of the God of War series, having this kind of auteur person at their head and like everything working as an extension of what they want to accomplish very much kind of drives how these games got made and what made them stand out. Yeah, so Jaffe talks about how Santa Monica Studios stood out as a place that had a more equal balance between creative side and production side, mm -hmm. and really touted that as why that, that studio was such a good fit for him. He actually ended up working on Connecticut in exchange for him being able to make his own game after that, which is how he ended up getting to God of War. But I think it was that that equal footing, whereas he said a lot of other studios were much more production mm -hmm. focused, right? So they would get kind of the main, you know, they would get to call the shots essentially, but the creatives at Santa Monica treated a lot, a lot better and able to call, call more shots themselves, but, but said it was even, it was, you know, it was nice in oh, that sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know you're getting to it, but uh, in tons of interviews with a lot of the staff of the original games, like Jaffe's tenure as head director was very contentious. The man like was absolutely highly demanding. He would try and introduce features at the last moment. Uh, in an interview with the uh, with uh, I listened to with Shan Studstill again, the uh, producer lady that actually had to like balance all of these intervening forces uh, right before the game was going to be released. Uh, Jaffe had this moment in God of War where he wanted a swarm of ravens to like descend <laughs> and the technical team was like, no, to keep the frame rate, we can only give How you five. A raven. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it was like this massive headache. Cause like they, you know, everything needed to be play tested, but Jaffe like didn't care about how, you know, he wanted what he wanted done all in pursuit. So that little Johnny, this fictional boy, who shouldn't be able to buy the game. Right. Yeah, he really shouldn't be that allowed That continual to, yeah. moment of, oh shit, and oh my God, as they played through it. Well, they said Jaffe was strange. Sometimes they felt that he might have had um, some bizarre mental issues. He actually thought that in order to put stuff into the game, you took real things <laughs> and put it in the game. So he showed oh, up like to work one day with like, 20 dead ravens and he just threw them on the desk like get these into the game and they were like that's not how video games work dude think about this for a second and he just like laughed and laughed and then he would um, eat a cup of um, mustard and uh, mayonnaise for breakfast which 
was his other big thing. Javi said it was a huge job. I gained 40 pounds on this game. I did irrevocable damage to my marriage. It was a stressful experience. It was a hostile environment. Part of that is what led to God of War being as successful as it was, but it was a real challenge. I mean, and then it he, did a number yeah. on his family. There's a video on YouTube where it's basically all the directors of God of War up to, I think, uh, Ghost of Sparta on the PSP. And uh, in their like summary, like kind of close up, they're like, hey, what do you think the God of War series is about? And Jaffe was like, it's about uh, losing yourself on a singular mission to the and to the point where you lose your family and your kids. And everybody was like, <laughs> fuck. He's like, yeah, and I should essentially. know. Yeah, yeah. And Javi's wife actually did put out a video game later that year called I Hate My Fucking Husband, <laughs> which was rough. I mean, really, it, really rough. It was to a play. twine game. It was text. It was like very, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. a hit with, in the indie scene. Oh, for sure. Yeah. A lot of indie uh, <laughs> darlings in that one. But either way, uh, Javi was initially inspired. He was inspired by a lot of things to this game. And you kind of see that it's like a combo of several different entities. One major one was Animusha. Uh, that is a hack and slash that was made. That made use of Japan's history, specifically the Sengoku period. And he wanted to make his own version, but with Zeus and Co. And so, yeah, that's like the pure draw from it. He was just kind of like. Let's just take that, make it about the Pantheon. Um, but also, he said, we started with Greek mythology. I knew I wanted to do an action-adventure game that was inspired by movies like Clash of the Titans and Ray, uh, Ray Harryhausen oh, and absolutely. things like that. I wanted to make a game that felt like Raiders of the Lost Ark, where the player got to go on this big, grand adventure. So, yeah, yeah. Clash of the Titans. Clash of the uh, Titans, in- insanely specific influence for God of War, specifically because... It really, like, when you look back on Clash of the Titans, the aesthetics are all over the place. It's like this cross, like, mush of Mm -hmm. cool sci-fi stuff. Well, it's a 1981, yeah, yeah, we should say it's a 1981 fantasy adventure film loosely based on the Greek myth of Perseus, a monster slayer famous in Greek mythology for beheading the Gorgon Medusa and beating other foul beasts. He was the son of Zeus and a mortal and is the half-brother and great-grandfather of Hercules. But yeah, it's very much like... Imagine late 70s, early 80s, like high fantasy storytelling. It's going to have a lot of bizarre pizzazz, I guess I would call it. It's uh, so a lot of the artistic flourishes that uh, the God of War series takes with ancient Greece is definitely uh, I think Clash of the Titans gave it that go ahead to make it so much more bigger and magical and just kind of D and D like in its execution yeah. in a lot of the early test uh, beta versions of the game where they're just even trying to figure out like, what will this feel like? What will this look like? Uh, they literally use Harryhausen style uh, skeletons as their kind of stand in enemies for the combat uh, tests. Yeah. The evolution of Kratos is actually very fascinating because when you look yes. at Kratos, He's not your standard, like, you know, phalanxy kind of guy. Uh, everything from his costume to his appearance to his weapon set is wholly original. And a lot of that was just from the fact that your standard Greek soldier just did not look cool enough, you know, with the little uh, head crown, with the yeah. helmet, with the arm, with the, the leather chest pieces. Yeah, and so yeah. they kept working and reworking and reworking this character because Jaffe knew that if it's not cool, if this character does not become an avatar for the player's rage, the whole project falls apart. Yeah. So at some point there was like, there's tons and tons and tons of 
uh, concept art for all the various versions of Kratos. At one point, he's like a blind samurai with like a baby wolf and cub style. There's tons of different versions where he's like a tribal warrior with dreadlocks. And that version stuck around for a, a real long time. 800 different versions of uh, just a swole Spartan with like just the most insane Rob Liefeld version of a Greek soldier. And all of it didn't quite click until they got to this like hybrid where the word that they keep using in behind the scenes featurettes, again, all on YouTube, is brutal. They wanted a character that just screamed animalistic, merciless brutality. Yeah, they, they were always combating the the idea of like, well, Greek mythology is kind of nerdy. Mm. It, it, it could kind of be seen as lame. And so they were trying to figure out how to, how to get against that by saying, you know, he's an asshole in terms of his aggressiveness and animalistic nature, said Jaffe. We thought if we made a character that had more in common with the Hulk or Wolverine with that sense of animal aggression, we figured that we could balance out the nerdiness of Greek mythology. People would come to it just because they enjoyed the violence and the inner Energy and aggression and the rawness of playing that character. That was our conceptual inspiration. So they spent a year redesigning the character. Thousands of drawings were created. Uh, and as they removed the armor and the helmets and whatnot, they were drawn more and more to this animalistic nature. And this is cemented by Jaffe's viewing of a certain film that came out around that time. Jaffe said, it really came to a head. I can't, this is probably my favorite fact in the episode, by the way. It really came to a head when I was watching a movie with my wife at the time, American History X, mm. where Ed Norton at the beginning of the movie is this white supremacist, neo-Nazi skinhead guy. And in the movie, obviously he goes through this arc and changes, becomes becoming a decent human. But when he is in the Nazi character, he's super buff. He's totally bald. He's a terrible character in the sense that he's a horrible human being. I was very taken with that idea of rage and power on screen shown in the performance from Ed Norton. I went back to Charlie Wynn, who was our lead uh, art director and character creator, an amazing genius guy in the movie industry who now went on to create a bunch of stuff for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I talked to him and it didn't take him too long. Charlie came back from lunch with a drawing on a napkin and he's like, what about this? I said, oh my God, that's amazing. It was this raw dude wearing a sort of warrior battle skirt thing. And the uh, interestingly enough, Enough. Kratos is like ashes, so they they end up coming up with a story element for that later. That it's the ashes of his family, and that's why he's all like chalky white. Oh, the entire plot of the game was done almost post hoc to justify yeah, like after the fact all the mm-hmm. cool shit that Jaffe wanted in the game. Price drop, time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to seventy percent off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
So when just hadn't colored the character in yet because he just did it up real quick at lunch on a napkin, right? So he was like that. He was just white, pale, right? And he was like, oh, oh, well, I'm going to go color it in. Don't worry. And Jabby's like, no, keep it like this. I like the ghoulish pale skin. It makes the character pop. It really makes you really see the character on the screen really well. Um, another thing they made you utilize to make the character pop uh, was the chains. Mm. Those were added by designer Joe Wright after they were attempting to solve the issue of how the main character was going to be the focal point on the screen when there's all this crazy shit going on and uh, especially when the camera pulls back really far and they're actually inspired by the game Shinobi for the PlayStation 2 the main character of that game had a very eye-catching flowing red scarf mm-hmm. that again just allowed gave you the player immediate sense of like where he is on the screen even if there's a ton of stuff going on so you never like lose him Javi said what is really fascinating is that is that very organic character creation process where the story came out of art the gameplay came out of of the need to see the character better and the art went back in and decide uh, designed the blades of chaos there was a very neat ping pong match or a five-way ping pong match between design performance concept art animation and programming the really kind of burst in the sky uh that's how we came up with kratos and i think that's really a really cool organic awesome uh, you know I, Obviously, the we just talked about how tumultuous the process was. So it wasn't like they were fucking kumbaya over there. You know what I mean? Playing a acoustic guitar, fucking trying to figure out how to create a secret race war so they could go invade some home and murder some movie star and his wife or his husband or whatever, right? Yes. And <laughs> the murder race war Charlie Manson <laughs> thing you just described. <laughs> is evocative of the Blades of Chaos, much like you were waving violently and just throwing shit out there. Uh, The Blades of Chaos, yeah, it really, uh, they're iconic. They operate in a way that like no other, you know, no other video game weapon kind of operates. And it does kind of, it allows you to feel super powerful because you are just mowing into a half dozen dudes at a time. The combo is flowing everywhere. You're like this it's it's almost a balletic kind of thing where you are doing just so much damage across such a wide scape, but it still feels like a melee kind of thing. You are scrapping and brawling, but also sweeping and moving. It works so great that like to to give you a sense of power and, you know, it's just these jagged chunks of metal at the end of a chain. Whereas if it was something like, you know, out of a... um a dynasty warriors game where it was like a more elegant kung fu weapon it might it wouldn't have that same weight and gnarliness uh huh mhm mhm yeah it toes that line really really well i think in terms of that cuz it has to flow as well yeah it just ooh he's big he's mean man he's big and crazy uh, round, uh by the way Corey barlog really brought in uh, uh, in a lot of ways because of his fighting game experience. He had just come off of working on X-Men Mutant Academy 1 and 2 which were kind of like X- an X-Men version of a Street Fighter-y type game uh, and definitely combat was a huge focus. Um, Corey Bar- Barlog said, we heard a famous director of a Japanese action game say Western developers can't make good action games. Japanese developers just know how to do that. Western developers don't know how to do I that I don't have any well. background but I'm just going to assume that was Hideki 
Hideki Kamiya. That just feels like that is absolutely Hideki Kamiya. <laughs> and Eric Williams, the combat lead on God of War 1, and I both said challenge accepted. I think for the most part, we carved our own niche on that. But that was kind of eye-opening for me doing the research. I was like, oh yeah, the, you know, things were different back then. The Japanese devs like had a big leg up on certain things. And I forgot about like how, yeah, back in the day, not a lot of really good, good, strong combat when it came to American developers. And no, we mastered the art of first person shooters. That was what we were yeah. good at is if you got a gun and hands, we can make it work. And they were working on this. This was going to be an, uh, for an FPS game, according to Jaffe. After we, we'd seen Eco and especially Devil May Cry, I was like, I think we can merge these. And by that, he meant the combat of Devil May Cry again, Japanese developers nailing that combat flow. And the puzzle solving of Eco. Eco's the predecessor to Shadow of the Colossus. You're, you're, it's these two characters trying to help each other get through this like different puzzle solving sections. You know Eco, but still, he wanted that puzzle solving element game flow, right? Right. Combat, combat, combat. Solve some puzzles. Rinse, repeat. Big action. Big set piece. Boss battle at the end. So yeah, I mean. Jaffe uh, said, most combat games from America just don't feel very good, He's uh, Jaffe said at the time. I'm not sure if it's a cultural thing or a lack of game tuning time, but there are very few titles where it just feels good to swing your weapon around. Usually it's very clunky and the animation is very choppy. Mm-hmm. So they, yeah, they were really the first game to prove to American audiences like an American dev can, can make a Devil May Cry, mm-hmm. can make, you know, a fucking Ninja Gaiden, you know? So they have the Kinetica engine, which is capable of pushing polygons at a decent frame rate better than anybody else. They have uh, David Jaffe keeping this entire thing singularly focused on a very specific audience and a very specific reaction. Um, Even stuff like being able to control the camera, which playtesters at the time were begging the team to implement. Jaffe was like, no, much like uh, his influences in Eco, like... You, I want them to see what I am seeing. I want them to feel the scale the way I want them to feel the scale. Because if they can just like whip the camera around and do whatever, like they're not going to have a sense of place. Like if I just planted in front of them and they had uh, an amazing art and animation team that was making sure that the game not only looked good, but felt good to play. So everything was in order. But wait, Jake, well, the one thing they were lacking the quick time event. That's right. The quick time event. That really was the cherry on top of the gameplay experience. Uh, the QTE was actually coined by Yu Suzuki, director of Shinmu, who created the modern version of this gameplay mechanic for that game in 1999, which is intended to create, quote, a fusion of gameplay and movie, according to the director, which is that cinematic thing they were going for. Um but yeah, that's that's where it first evolved, and it just was such a mainstay of the, the you know video games during this era. So here here we are playing the old <laughs> games. I will say it gets old very quickly. It does. You know, there's a reason why even back it while it was happening, all the video game websites and all the little web comics were all making fun of it and its overuse. There's something in God of War where, like, you are fighting a boss, you're like, you know, you've memorized the patterns, you've been whittling away at their health, 
and they got that little circle over their head and you go in for the final kill move and you just got to mash that button and Kratos is also struggling to like rip the jaws open on the monster and you're mashing and mashing and you're getting a little tired and Kratos is like, Aah! and you like <laughs> nail it and they die and like you're a little exhausted from the experience. It works. It works. It just gets old fast. Yeah, for sure. Actually, I think Ragnarok's the first time I switched it from tap to hold, <laughs> and I'm not regretting that decision. It, it makes it definitely makes things less dramatic. Mm-hmm. It, there's something about having to tap that button. Oh, and you're just it makes you so stressed out. But uh, I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's crazy that newer games have it too. Have the QTs as well it's, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Anything else you want to say about the first God of War before we move on to the sequels? Just that, you know, it uh, was like a do or die moment for Santa Monica. You know, Connecticut was not a big hit. Uh, Jaffe was like kind of making a lot of, uh, uh, you know, he he was a, he knew what he wanted and he did not uh, make it a secret. Um, you know, there was this kind of push and pull in the, in the creation of the game. I know Jaffe talks about a um, moment where there was a retreat with a lot of the Sony studios and he saw like Naughty Dog uh, had almost finished Jack and Daxter. There was a bunch of other games on display and like he had a very incomplete version of God of War to show. It had uh, a dreadlocked Kratos that looked kind of like silly with bouncing uh, hair and like it really wasn't finished and he was kind of like fuck I might have fucked up and uh, obviously that wasn't the case it came out it was a massive hit it made headlines you know this people were getting Kratos tattoos it like was sexy and violent and cool and slick and all these things that like a kid that just bought this fancy new future machine wanted it definitely kind of showcased how games had uh were becoming something bigger something more grandiose in the mm-hmm. transition from like the 3264 bit era to what we were now going to get in the HD era. Yeah, and it was such an arms race for like badassery, mm-hmm. you know? Like I feel like even thinking back in a before this era, the era that came before or a couple of eras before like Mortal Kombat, right? Mm-hmm. It was like, how badass can we make? How do we make a thing that is like a 12-year-old's fucking, I was going to say wet dream, but that's gross. You know what I mean? But it's just like what they would just, if they could write down like, he's a fight, he's badass, he's got these blades, right? Oh, and he hits people with the blades. Sometimes he rages out and he gets more mad, you know? And it's just, they they did such a good job of like writing the fuck out of that in, in in these first games, like just really really giving you that like stone cold badass kind of thing. I mean, a when time, he pushes you know, the, the boat captain down the Hydra's stomach, it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. And so, of course, the game comes out. It's a huge hit with great sales and reviews, and folks loving the balance between that solid combat, the puzzle solving, the ultra violence, uh, the 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 story stuff, the the Greek pantheon stuff. And 
And at the end of the credits, the phrase Kratos will return pops up. So they clearly already had a sequel in mind. However, the loud wild Jaffe decided to leave Sony around this time to create his own studio called Eat Sleep Play. And that's when Corey Barlog was asked to step in and take over the franchise. He said, I so didn't see that coming. I kind of laughed and looked around to see if there was any cameras because I thought I was part of a documentary and they were making fun of me or something. Well, like that. it's uh, there is actually a making of documentary that covers the making of God of War 2. And it was that, you know, David Jaffe had done such a good job with uh, God of War that he was kind of uh, he got a promotion within Sony to kind of be this like uh, guiding visionary for Santa Monica. And it was as God of War 2 was picking up steam that he was like, hey, um, can you pay me like what I feel I am worth? And Sony was like, no. And so Jaffe just like bolted. (laughs) And so like Barlog took the gig thinking that he would just be like one layer of oversight of big dog Jaffe's like, uh, you know, second movement only to be kind of stuck in the driver's seat. And so this caused like a huge amount of uh, kind of, yeah, yeah, being just kind of foisted into this uh, role with great responsibility. You know, uh, this is the flagship franchise. This is the thing that like you have to deliver on. Otherwise, you're, you know, it's proof that your entire studio was just couldn't exist without one weird dude. Um, and so he talks about like really having to like try and prove that he's like easier to get along with, with Jaffe, make sure that the team is on his side on things, but still putting his foot down and making sure that things get done. Um, There's a entire part of the mini documentary where there's just a giant clusterfuck headache trying to get the Pegasus sequence working because uh, (laughs) it turns out they need to pretty much reassemble the, the game engine to make any part of it work. And Mm. it's just this, you know, he's a young guy. He was an animator. Like he really was, he felt rudderless for a lot of this production, but he still kind of understood the assignment. And it basically boiled down to the fact that it was all going to be do or die on the E3 demo for God of War 2. And they just spent a year and a half just making sure that that perfect vertical slice was everything that it would take to get the press to go, oh shit, they still got it. And it came and went. God of War 2 had an amazing showing at that year's E3. Every publication was super hyped about it. And uh, I, in the documentary, he kind of just looks at the camera and is like, well, that was a year and a half for eight minutes of gameplay. Now we got to figure out the other 30 hours. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, they. I'll also say they, they decided to throw it out on the PS2, even though the PS3 was out uh, upon its release. That was a bit of a gamble. Um, definitely, Corey Bar- Barlog, with Corey Barlog, you get uh, m- more of a storyteller uh, perspective uh, approach on the game. He even actually, interestingly enough, considering the future of the franchise, he actually pulled in his dad to help with the script, apparently, and did a lot of extensive research on the Greek pantheon to really get more in there more detailed with that but yeah well it, that's based on a it. true story when his father gave him uh, a blade that stole his godly power and then murdered him so that he had to travel back in time and adjust the wheel of fate 
in order to uh, stop it. Yeah, the other weird thing about Corey Barlock, like, he always had this like talking headless guy <laughs> attached to his belt. Which is it, it, and that guy apparently helped him like come up with plot points. Yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah. Like oh, that, you're talking really about important. the little Scottish man that he carries around. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the little Scottish guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, so then, after God of War two, I mean, he even said like, if I knew what I was getting into, I probably wouldn't have done it. But I was thankful for the experience. But he decides to step away from the franchise at the end of God of War two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is prime like 2000s game dev like crunch sleep in your cubicle. Yeah. Up till all hours of the night, like just destroying yourself for the sake of these. Well, games. what's funny is he definitely didn't want to quote because he didn't want to become quote the god of war guy, which he's definitely that. Yeah, <laughs> at this point in his career, Barlock said the franchise is very successful for Sony, and I think it's awesome. I was a big part of making that a success for them, and I think it's great that they should continue doing it. But I don't want to make God of War four and God of War five and God of War the expansion pack and God of were the role-playing kart racing game. I definitely could see that there's a potential for that. At that point, God of War 3 was actually already eight months into development uh, with Barlog serving as the director. Would you say, and I, you would say probably this, God of War 2 is probably the strongest of the original trilogy, right? I would say so, although God of War 3 absolutely is like an important title in the journey. Like it was... Uh, Okay, so God of War 2 refined a lot of the things that made God of War 1 just a little bit rougher around the edges, uh, a more compelling story, a more compelling power set, um, a little bit less kind of faffing around with some of the uh, environmental puzzles, a lot less tippy-toe segments, which, God, I hated those in God of War 1. There's like (laughs) entire chunks of the game where just everything grinds to a halt and you just got to like just like flick at the analog stick and like walk over narrow beams. Why they thought every game needed that back in the day. Like why they, they felt like every, every game needed a plotting sneaky segment is the worst. But God of War two and and any late stage first party game for a console, you know, because it's the collective knowledge of like everything that a piece of hardware is capable of. So it delivered like even more spectacle than the first one. And it's just like, yeah, yeah, it's it, there's a reason why I think that's the one that most people will think about. But God of War three, absolutely, especially on the PS3, was an amazing tech demo. Yeah, yeah. Stig as Musen stepped in. Uh, to be uh, the director, he was a lead environment artist and art director on the first two games. His main struggle was, of course, uh, we all know it at this point, if you're a fan of the show, especially, the PS3 was a fucking asshole to Cell design games for. technology. Yeah, real jerk, that that console. And so, yeah, a lot of the struggles they had were, were just with that, with developing and with this new console. And uh, they had to meet new expectations. Good example of that is the number of characters that could be on the screen at one time on PS2 was 15. On a PS3, it was 50. So they could do way... They get those ravens, find that raven dance party they were going to do. I will say, running emulation to play God of War 1 and 2 uh, on the collection on the PS3 ran like a dream, 60 FPS. Nice. Uh, In fact, we played a bunch of God of War 2, the whole Colossus of Rhodes segment, uh, on the study stream, go to patreon.com forward slash whizbrew, uh, $15 a month. It's a weekly live face to face get together where we talk about and engage with upcoming episode topics. Um, ran like a dream 
I tried to emulate uh, God of War 3 and it made my computer like fucking explode. It shut it down. <laughs> like I black screened during when um, <laughs> Neptune, not Nep, Poseidon showed up in his fucking water horse monster. <laughs> just completely, just everything shut down. It could not do it. Well, so did the production on God of War games. That's not true at all, actually. But God of War 3 was the final game of the initial trilogy. It was the whole thing. It was a three-game deal uh, for the storyline there. And then, of course, you also have the the many spinoffs wait, wait, and whatnot. Wait, just one more thing about God of War 3. Sure. Iconic, iconic. Sold lots of copies. I mean, literally taking like the Hydra opening set piece from the first game and elevating that to like a war on Mount Olympus where you are fighting on the yeah. back of a Titan. Uh, the the brutal ending of the series where you are first person perspective punching Zeus to death in the face until your right. entire screen is filled with blood. It's like, how do you go... It, there's just you can't yeah that was it you can't where do you go after that i mean you just can't you can, you know it, it becomes that's the i think the problem with the original god of war right mm. when it at least when it came to longevity was like it, it after a while the dick measuring contest all of a sudden you have a dick so big it fills up the entire room no one can breathe everyone's suffocating to death under the weight of this big giant dick i mean you, that's god of war three you, there's nowhere to go from there. You know, we have to find, they have to find more inroads. And what's funny is like, Oh, it's not about the, how big the dick is. It's the size of the dick's heart, you know? And that's what they realized with the reboot games or whatever, but they kind of had to wear everything out a little bit first before they got there. So you've, uh, of course you have the, the mobile release, God of War betrayal. Uh, that was a 2d side scroller. There were PSP games that were pretty decent from what I hear. God of War chains of Olympus and God of War ghost of Sparta. And of course we already mentioned it, but the prequel console release in 2013, God of War Ascension takes place six months before Kratos is tricked into killing his wife and daughter. That game, it does decent, but, um, you know, it just was clear that they were hitting diminishing returns that people were falling off of the franchise it was becoming less of a thing people were having a big demand for in the gaming community and so like, that's what yeah, put the brakes on the franchise the, all these games are either midquels or prequels and it's just one of the big mistakes that um any major franchise will do because you can't do anything if you care about a character yeah. you care about so you know he's not gonna die you know that like if there's a character that you recognize from one of the other games, they're going to survive until they die in one of the actual games. And if there's some new character uh, who doesn't show up in the other games, you know they're going to die. It's just this like very uh, shallow kind of thing for a game series that despite all of the aesthetic uh, excesses is like based on a sense of continuity in a way. So I know uh, Ghost of Sparta and... Um, what was it? Chains of Olympus uh, made through Ready at Dawn was like an amazing showpiece for the PSP. You know, I know so many uh -huh. people that were like, look, it's God of War on the go. And it like looked pretty accurate. It delivered that experience and it made it a very like must have title for the PSP. But Ascension really was just a weird mistake. And when all of a sudden done, yeah. it did kind of kill the franchise. Yeah, but that's good. Some things need to be killed so they can come back to life bigger and stronger, much like uh, our savior, Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? So it's... <laughs> 
I don't know what that was. I mean, <laughs> like Harry Potter at the end of that series. Spoiler but, alert. Yeah, it was 2005 to, was God of War, 2007 God of War 2, 2010 God of War 3, 2013 God of War Ascension, and then nothing for five years, which is uh, like for nowadays, You, I feel like, you know, Bungie could actually be working on a game for five years. Activision Blizzard could be working on a game for five years. But that's mm-hmm. a long time for just nothing Rare for the to, time. Yeah, nothing to come out from a major studio like this. But it's such a good incubation period. Corey Barlog, he goes off and during his hiatus from the company, he ends up working on some games that massively impact his approach to this 2018 God of War, which became such a massive success for them. He works on the Tomb Raider reboot for Crystal Dynamics. He also works on the Mad Max game for Avalanche Ooh. Studios. Barlog said... I said, all right, I need to go do a cane from Kung Fu and wander the earth, meet people and learn. I learned way more during that process than I ever expected. Working with George Miller was an education. It was eight college degrees in character development and directing all at once. And when working with a bunch of other studios, I did a little stint with Lucas, with Crystal Dynamics. I did the Tomb Raider stuff. That game gave me the perspective I needed. I didn't think I would have been able to make this game had I not uh, had that walkabout. So the Mad Max game, gave him intimate working relationship with George Miller who gave him a master class in one of the more mature storytelling genre filmmakers of all time like yeah right like actual genius actual so there he's learning like talent. cinematic storytelling you know character development all that stuff then he goes and works on Tomb Raider it's almost the opposite it's not that Tomb Raider the the working there influenced him it was more like oh I wouldn't do it like that and Mm -hmm. I wouldn't do it like that so also an attempt to take a very cheesecake character and bring Mm -hmm. them into and humanize them and bring them into the 21st century where the audience that imprinted on them are now like you know just a little bit uh, more savvy and mature. So like it- they're too old for triangle titties. Yeah. They need something a little more than that. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? We can't just be swan diving into swimming pools or whatever. Right. We got to do, do something a little more, uh, a little more um, advanced, a little more mature, but yeah. So, but he was also looking at, it, he was like, Oh, I don't think I'd make a reboot for God of war. How do we like give it the reboot treatment, but for continue the story we were already working from. Right. That's a lot of what he got out of working on that tomb Raider game. And the other big thing that happened during this time, he had a son. Barlog said, the father's son came first, and then the Norse myths came second. The real cementing of that concept was when I got back to the studio and saw that everybody was old, like me. Got back to Santa Monica studio. We all were older. We were so thumb uh, thumb our nose at authority young when I started in 2003. Everybody had kids. Everybody was gray. We were all looking a lot more tired than we were before. When we started, when we talked about things, we talked about them in a different way. We used to be a very combative group. Sometimes the combative was just to be combative. Now it was this more measured way of approaching problems. I felt like these developers that I'd come up with, we'd all been apart for years. And we came back together feeling like we'd changed in a very interesting way. It's not that we were different people. We just aged. Which is, I mean, you could just describe Kratos as all of that. And I love the idea that like they were literally having like full-on... screaming throwing shit at each Mm -hmm. other fights during those that initial trilogy and much like kratos in the game with his approach to you know violence and combat it's it's way calmer and more measured and more like understanding there's a complexity here 
to the nature of violence and the nature of how we have conflicts with people Mm. and especially with the kid. He also said, I thought that was it. That plus having a son, what that changes, what you go through. This is what it is. Then it was like people were not uh, that into it. I don't get it. Why are we putting a kid in here? That's weird. Even Jason McDonald, the lead combat guy, he had said several times, I have a kid. Thinking about going into these scenarios, I don't want a kid around me. That's dangerous. It resonated with him, but in a weird, protective way. And so, yeah, he also really liked the idea of a character that ages with its audience. And after the success of games like The Last of Us, he felt the need to make the acts of violence in the game have more emotional depth and complexity than just yay violence, which is how they were portrayed in that original trilogy. Uh, and so, and then the, another interesting element, Barlock considered Kratos to be the true antagonist of his own story in the game. Every single element of the story deals with familial relationships at all times. Every character he interacts with is teaching him a good or a bad lesson, a caution. Don't go down this road or you should listen to me about how to be a family, how to be part of a family and the responsibility. Whether you're a kid or an adult in that family, you have a responsibility toward the communication and well-being of of the family. And so all this stuff is just this making This was for also a, during yeah. a lot of what people had called the datification of games. Yeah. You know, stuff like uh, The Last of Us, Bioshock Infinite. There was mm-hmm. this like very much Gen X developers that got their start during the fuck you dad Mortal Kombat era now had families of their own and wanted to make games that kind of still resonated to that audience who themselves had matured. And in you know, a lot of people will talk about whether this represented a uh, maturation or artistic development in the game space, or is it just still uh, you know power fantasies for uh, men with disposable income? Just they moved the age slider slightly, but uh-huh. it's still a like if their option was to do what they did with God of War Ascension, that would have been a mistake. Like we just did not need the more of what we used to have. Like we needed something that was still a art, a, a slick triple a action game experience, but had a little bit of depth, a little bit of flavor on the meat so that we could appreciate it and not just roll our eyes at it. Or like, you know, feel embarrassed when like our mom or wife or uh partner walked into the room. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just also, as you get older, we need more internal conflicts. Like we need more because we're that's something we've all been grappling with as we've gotten older. Like back in the day, it was just like, how cool can it be? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and I still enjoy a movie like that, like just a big, fun, dumb, pulpy. But if you were to ask me, like, what are the films I'm most drawn to? It's definitely going to be something that resembles a little bit more like a God of War 2018 in terms of like the characters having more depth and there being like a sorrow underneath this like big badass storyline that's going on you know this this played up more than just like you killed my family fuck yeah you know what i mean this just has a little bit more of that i also loved this this element barlog was grappling with that he instilled into the game about how he feels about his own kid he said the way that kratos views godhood 
as a disease he's passed on to his kid is the same concept I look at my kid with my own psychological idiosyncrasies, my own obsessive compulsive nature. He's exhibiting all of that. I gave him that because my wife is not that way. My wife has anxiety, but she's nowhere near that. Everything has to be done in a certain order. And my kid is that times a thousand, which is so heartbreaking. It's the same way that in that moment when Atreus rages out at the end of the game and knocks himself out and nearly dies, it's seeing that terrible part of yourself in your kid. Mm -hmm. That is profound. That is a really, really cool statement to make about. And I totally see that. I'm like, well, when he had my anger, you know what I mean? Well, she have like these qualities about me that I hate, you know, that I'm like spending the rest of my life trying to like, you know, work on and fix, you know? And uh, so, man, what a that that really hit me in the gut reading that. That was really cool. Price drop. Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The move to a Norse mythological setting yeah. was uh, super call. easy for Barlog because his wife that he had the kid with is Swedish. So she helped and he's you know visited the Nordic countries a couple of times. The... Um, Entire, well, not the entire studio, but key creatives took trips to Iceland to kind of get a feel of like the natural landscapes there. They even went on survival retreats to kind of get a feeling of what it means to live off the land like uh, Kratos and Atreus do. It's, uh, there's an entire, obviously funded by Sony, so you don't get like the real goods, uh, documentary called Raising Kratos that you can watch on YouTube. Uh And it covers not only... Uh, a more mature Corey kind of actually talking out loud about a lot of these themes, but also the developers about what it means for them to be working at this studio, what the gravity of the situation, you know, the realization that they've taken so long with this game and they've like kind of slipped up so many times that it might be the end of the studio. If this game doesn't do well, Um, the uh, people just in charge of like managing Corey and managing the team, uh, Yumi Yang, who is, I believe, the current head of uh, of uh, Santa Monica after um, Shannon uh, made her way. Uh, she ended up at Stadia, RIP. Um, you know, she was like, like just making sure that he actually attended all these meetings and actually got the things done that he wanted to say he got done. It's like a really heartwarming story of just this company that is massive, all working towards a common goal with no real uh, knowledge whether or not it'll work out. There's footage of the playtesting that God of War went to. And, you know, people are confused by the kid. Uh, Female testers like immediately run to the kid's side and like try and protect him, not realizing that it was part of Corey's like 
absolute design bible that like you don't need to worry about Atreus. Yeah, thank you. Do not God have to watch this... his health. You do not need to make sure he's like if he's away from you and you need to jump a ledge, he'll just like jump on your back from wherever. Like I feel like it was the it was a revelation when that was I first introduced, I believe in Bioshock Infinite, where it was like it's not an escort mission. You have a companion <laughs> and they're just gonna help you and like not be a be yeah. in the way or a problem. Yeah, for sure. I just like yeah, that, yeah, exactly. Like uh, all he does is is support mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and doesn't fuck you up in that way. Uh, yeah, they had a team of around three hundred people. For comparison, the Red Dead Redemption Two team at Rockstar was around four thousand. When we did uh, Bungie, when we covered Destiny, we were like slack. We were aghast that there was a team of five hundred people working on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's it, it really wild at this point. So they were actually technically a pretty small team comparatively at this point in AAA game development, and uh, so that's why they, uh, thank God too, they 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 scrapped the idea of an open world mm. and instead created an experience described as quote wide linear. I always talk about small open worlds. I'm I'm a, I'm a more a bigger fan of a small open world now than I am of something that gives you that a little bit of leeway a little bit of exploration but it's not just this giant how big can we make the map um, uh, quote unquote like make it as immersive as possible whatever i just i just eh, i'm down to follow a track and complete objectives you're down to follow a track but having played a lot of god of war 2018 uh in the lead up to this that like every five steps, there's just a little off ramp that you can take and just kind of yeah. wander, find a treasure chest, beat up a Get guy a present. and then yeah. come back to the trail, which pretty which much, I like it delivers yeah. that hit of the open yes. world without having the open world overwhelming or just getting kind of lost in some brand. You know yeah. what I mean? When it's too much. And it wasn't necessary for this. Uh, A big challenge in the writing was the balance of Kratos as stone-cold murderer and protective father, with one person's early feedback being like, I feel like I'm playing a child abuse simulator, (laughs) which I thought was a funny way to put it. But then they walked it back too far the other way, and they're like, now he's way too, like, soft and, like, sweet, and that doesn't work either. And I could see that being a challenge, because I do feel like they tow that line really well of making Kratos the same intimidating like rage monster Kratos while also being a, a dad and and whatnot. Um, Barlog talks a lot about wanting to create a more cinematic experience with this game. That is why they went with that single camera viewpoint. Barlog said, I wanted no cinematics, no camera cuts. That's the first thing I said. We're not doing any cuts and you won't ever lose control of the camera. Which was you a can huge walk around. thing in the early God of War games. That camera yeah. during the cutscenes and quick time events is flipping out going all over the place right and and he wanted opposite of that and uh yeah he you can walk around and walk away while people are talking which freaked people out and rightfully so never cutting away means never looking away it to force you to experience these moments whether they're uncomfortable or not you have to be there and it has to feel personal to kratos so yeah that and i think that's just again an evolution from the old school to the new school. I think everybody was kind of generally doing that with like last of us and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, man, God of war 2018. I loved it. I thought, man, the, the, the feeling of the ax and they spent a lot of time on that, that initially it wasn't even going to be that way that you could throw it into anything in the environment and it would stick into it. And then you could pull it back into your hand. Barlog, Barlog apparently just got obsessed with that <laughs> mechanic and really, really was adamant about, how the axe felt, how the axe looked 
snapping into different items, uh, stuff in the environment. Just the way your controller just thuds when it comes back to your yeah. hand. Just it's it all feels so awesome. Fucking it's it feels great. I I forgot how good a genuine first person AAA console game can feel. Uh, until I like picked up this game, it really is. Some spoilers for God of War 2018 uh, right now, so just heads up on that if you really want to experience it for the first time. I'll also say the way they handle the lead up and the point in the game when you actually get your blades back mm-hmm. is so fucking well done in that game. Is they they start you off making you think, oh, it's just going to be the axe and the shield, and that's the new gameplay mechanic, and they wait the exact amount of time they needed to wait to make you completely like forget entirely that those blades exist at all. And that, Oh shit moment when you get them and you start wielding them in the game and you're like, Oh fuck, this is so cool. Uh, They did such a good job with that stuff. And, you know, also, you know, they talk a lot about, and I think this is probably some of the work he got. um, uh, Some of the, the experience he got working with, uh, George, oh, I can't think of his name. Uh, some of the experience he got working with George Miller. Um, it, they talked so much about how that show don't tell, and they're always like leaving you guessing of what the exact what exactly is going on with the characters for that, especially for that first big long opening chunk, and just being cool with things being a mystery, leaving it that way for the player, not over explaining everything to the player, and not having everything be this very cut and dry storyline is really smart as well. Just a quick shout out to uh, the composer on God of War 2018, Bear McCreary who has his hands in like almost every single franchise. If you know what I'm talking about, he's a literal bear. (laughs) You know, he worked on the Battlestar Galactica reboot. He's been doing soundtracks for the Lord of the Rings show. He's done movies. He's done games. He's just a very busy man. Uh, Among the many things he had to do unique for this soundtrack, uh, several of the choral segments are written in actual Old Norse, and the only uh, choir that was even capable of getting the pronunciation right was in Iceland. So he had to fly out and record all of the choir music in a, a chapel in Iceland. And it's they have footage of that, again, in the Racing Kratos documentary. And it's very fun to watch. Yeah, also, I didn't even write their names down. But shout out to the voice acting in this oh, fucking God, game, Oh, God, wait. Too. No, we got to talk about this. Because it was uh, another important thing is the voice acting because... Uh, for Kratos has only had two voice actors for the longest time. It was TC Carson, who did an amazing job. But uh, when it was time to recast an older Kratos, uh, Barlog really wanted a less extreme performance. And he wanted a clear break from the previous games. And so uh, he reached out to a lot of big celebrities. He wanted like something, someone with gravitas to take on the role. And a lot of actors turned it down outright. They didn't want to do a game. And so uh, one of the producers and casting directors uh, gave him a list of names. And on that list was Christopher Judge, who uh, he, Barlog was actually a huge fan because he had been shotgunning the Stargate SG-1 series back when he was doing late nights at Santa Monica working on the other games. Uh, he played, T- I can't pronounce the character, Tialik, Tilk, uh, the, mm. the Egyptian guy with the thingy on his forehead with the space uh-huh. spear. And Christopher Judge uh, was literally, he, when he got the uh, the sample script, 
said yes, not realizing it was a video game, and said he too would have turned it down if he thought it was a game role. Oh, wow. Yeah. He kills it. Yeah, yeah. He does such a fucking good job, and that's such a hard role to pull off because, again, I think that was the trickiest part was like not making Kratos still be, quote unquote, as badass as he was in the original trilogy, but have giving that, getting that depth in there well, and getting that, that, you know, inner conflict and stuff. In the Raising Kratos documentary, which I just keep referencing, uh, Christopher oh, Judge yeah. is almost kind of brought to tears when talking about his performance because they're like, so how do you do this thing? And he was like, well, I thought about uh, all the things I wish I could have made up for when I was off doing Stargate and missed my kids growing up. And then he kind of like yeah. realized what he said and he was just like, I need a oh. minute. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, man. Yeah. that. But I think we all, you know, even I don't have like a, a, I don't, a boy, but you boy. know, my baby's just, my baby's still just kind of a baby, like to- toddler now, technically. But yeah, it's it, I still I I get ch- I'm way more emotionally connected to the franchise. I don't know that. if this is apocryphal, but it's a factoid I saw a bunch, and that is the reason why he says "boy" so much is supposedly because they had been trying to figure out the name for Atreus's character very late into development, and they had to get started. Uh-huh. So all those boy things were kind of uh, that was like their workaround. Uh, I believe it was either GameSpot or IGN at one point made a joke that the character's name was Charlie based on early game footage, (laughs) which is why the turtle that the Witch of the Woods lives in ends up being named Charlie. Hmm. But yeah, that is that is the, the secret history of boy. Well, the game comes out and ends up being like fucking game of the year and shit. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. And a year where like a Red Dead Redemption 2 came out. I mean, they purposely released it early as fuck because A, they didn't think it was going to do like it would be a game of the year level. B, they didn't want to put it out anywhere near Red Dead Redemption 2 because they were just sure that that game would be great. Definitely, personally, loved God of War 2018 way more than I did my experience with Red Dead 2. But uh, yeah, it was it was huge. It was such a big year. It was a good year for games in general and this was one of the best ones in a year that was quite good for games. Uh, and of course, the ending of uh, 2018, they, they stuck the landing in that ending, by the way. They killed it with that and definitely it leads the player towards the idea of a sequel with the final series of plot twists and everything you know about what's to come. So for the sequel, Corey steps aside and has Eric Williams mentioned earlier in this episode um, who was working on the game, the original trilogy. Uh, let's Eric Williams take the reins. According to Williams, I've worked with every director in the franchise in a different capacity. I worked with Corey as an animation lead. I worked with David Jaffe as a director. I worked with Todd pa- uh, pa- Pappy as a level designer. I worked with Stig as an artist and with Rue uh, Wirasuria and Dana Jan at Ready at Dawn in different capacities. Learning from each when they did the PSP games, learning from each one of them, to me, it's just doing right by everyone that's come before me and taking the franchise in the right direction. You don't want to be that director that sends it off the rails. A lot of big franchises that this can happen with. And so I just want to pay respect to what we've done in the past and still try to keep it fresh for the future at the same time. Williams was instrumental on God of War 2018. So Barlock felt he was right for the gig. And uh, Williams likened the relationship between Kratos and his son in this new game to that of a boxer and his trainer father. Mm. And it gets to the point where the kid is so good that it's time to go pro, right? Right. 
that's where the promoters and all this stuff starts to come in and wants to pull him this way. And the dad's like, this is all from Williams himself. The dad's like, stay with me. We'll do this right. You'll be the champ forever. You go over there and they're going to send you to the wolves. You're going to get knocked out. And Kratos has this mindset. It's like, there'll be time for this, but now is not the time. We don't need to go pick a fight. Let's just grow and be together and have this time. But the kid being young wants to go, right? That young boxer wants to get out there, wants his little his title shot. And uh, that is a cool, fun thing to work with. He's definitely teenager Atreus. Mm-hmm. It's a very different dynamic. He's definitely he's definitely storming out of a lot of rooms mm-hmm. in this one uh, and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but that makes for some interesting dynamic between him and Kratos. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun so far. Uh, having Odin in there, having Thor in there is great. It opens really strong with, uh, with Thor. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely really enjoying it so far. And it, 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 just what you said about the little side paths and all that good stuff. I, I'm definitely enjoying the, the game flow of like going and getting, I just did my first round of side quests. So I'm very excited for my next, uh, I think honestly, when we're done with this, I'm probably going to go play some more of it. And I get to go do some of that like main quest line stuff when I sit back down, which I'm excited for because I want, I'm ready for some bigger cinematic moments because I've done a lot of exploration in my last couple hours of playing. I just want to do a little coda on the story of David Jaffe because he has had a weirder uh, kind of uh, career since leaving Santa Monica. Um, He was, he put out a downloadable game called Calling All Cars in 2007. And then his big return to, Uh, Glory came in the 2012 Twisted Metal uh, reboot that really underperformed despite a massive marketing campaign. Uh, There were massive layoffs in the studio and Eat Sleep Play kind of uh, entered its dying days. Uh, His last major release was a multiplayer third-person shooter called Drawn to Death that was uh, used a teenager notebook pencil drawing aesthetic that a lot of people just continuously ragged on throughout its entire run. It had a very low player base, terrible reviews. Well, the the writing was so immature and it was a Duke Nukem forever. Like it was just so over the top and like bad edgelord comedy bullshit. And so I, I just heard a lot about it because of that I got morbidly curious. I didn't realize it was the same guy who did God of War and stuff, but it makes so much sense. And I loved what you said about, about it's like Corey Barlog like grew up and, David seems to not be able to do that. So David <laughs> At least Jaffe it comes to his is game built making. differently. He has a, uh, he is very, I wouldn't say he has a massive online presence, but he is incredibly outspoken. He releases podcasts, streams, he tweets, he like, go, he throws his hat in the arena on a lot of different things. Sometimes coming out in a very cringe kind of uh, position on a lot of culture stuff. He was, uh, famously, one of the people that like ragged on the alloy design when the Horizon mm. sequel came ugh, out. Ugh, like he's yeah, one of bet. those guys now. I wouldn't say he went full chud, but he will. He runs his mouth a lot. Honestly, respect to an aging bearded man who runs his mouth a lot. But uh, he's kind of in his own little enclave. He knows who he is, and he just kind of has uh, settled into this forever. 12-year-old zone. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting contrast to Corey Barlog's evolution and resulting critical reception. Yeah. 
For sure. I think it's important. Growth is good, Mm -hmm. is all I'll say. Growth is important uh, for anything and anyone. Well, I have a little final quote from Corey Barlog, his advice for creatives, especially those in the games industry. Do you have anything before I read it and we get out of here? This was just a really fun episode to to do. The game, like playing the old games that I never got to play, kind of indulging that... 2000s era gnarliness uh, with clear eyes and just taking it for what it is, uh, getting to experience the sincerity and uh, spectacle of the new reboot games is also incredible. I love a comeback story. Yeah. And I love a story that has multiple different instances of like, oh, this is a reflection of where the games industry was in 20 and 2007. This is a reflection of where it is now. And I love that kind of those kind of tentpole like storylines. I am very nice. It's I'm cautiously excited to see where Santa Monica goes from here because it is Mm -hmm. this. They have so many resources and so much talent, but they're still the God of War studio. It is still the the house that Kratos has built. And Corey Barlog definitely became the God of War guy yeah. that he didn't said he didn't want to be 70 years ago. But we were, I think he's really embraced the role now. I mean, I think he's just so, uh, ple- he, he always goes off on Twitter about how just how touched he was by the success of the first game and the feedback he'd gotten and the reception was just so warm and awesome. And that is great. All right, here's his, uh, the final quote, Corey Barlog's advice for creatives. One, find your way into your story. Find your way into your game. Don't let somebody else tell you what you want. Part of having a vision for something is, even if you're taking on something that everybody's familiar with, if you're saying you're going to make Assassin's Creed, don't let other people tell you what Assassin's Creed means. Find your interpretation, your vision, your personal connection to it. If you don't, it's harder to make a true moment. If it's not yours if it's not personal to you. Also, listen to my favorite song ever written, the DK Rap April! No! Thank I you so much for listening. Twitch.tv forward slash It's a bad song. It's a bad song. It's not Twitch. funny. Oh, hey, let's make get the audience the listen to rap. a really bad song, and then the Jewish man will be angry about it. Is that it? Is that what you idiots think is funny? <laughs> We're in Kanye's future, my friend. That's all I can say. No, uh, no, yeah, no, okay. I'm not saying it's anti-Semitic. I'm just describing myself <laughs> as a man who is Jewish and angry. Just- I might have some origins of that. I don't know. We'll have <laughs> no, to look into it when we do our episode on it. You know what? Okay. We do- <laughs> Hi there. It's Jake from the podcast Wizard and the Bruiser. Just here to officially state that the DK rap is not a hate crime. No, it is a uh, silly song from the N64. <laughs> and though it upsets me personally, it does not represent mm. any sort of uh, sign of aggression towards the Jewish good, people. Good, good. Good, good. All right. Check me out. Twitch.tv forward slash uh, Holdnators Ho. 
I uh, almost said twitch.tv forward slash Patreon. That's not going to do anything for you. Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. Monday through Friday, I'm streaming. Thursdays, we do gaming streams. Uh, check me out then. Uh, I'll always love to see you guys come in and say hello. Patreon.com forward slash Whizbrew. We've got weekly bonus episodes for just $5 a month. And uh, we also have ad-free episodes as well. So never a better time to join uh, for $15 a month. You can join us for our Sunday study session on our discord jake really got to press the flesh on that patreon it is how you support the podcast it is how we keep the lights on it is our very uh lives in your hands so if you enjoy the show why not get more show for just like the price of half of a twitter blue subscription huh that's pretty great anyway follow me on youtube and twitch puppet jared Puppet Jared, it's at my VTuber stream. I do the Thursday Cartoon Dumpster, and it is a rollicking good time. Imagine Mystery Science Theater meets your favorite Saturday morning cartoon block. We watch weird old bad cartoons, and it is a goddamn riot. Thursdays, Twitch, YouTube, Puppet Jared. And always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite- Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.